Good evening again, everybody. It's wonderful to be with everybody again tonight, although I'll confess here at the beginning that I've had the hardest time. So this is not in the script. This is not going to turn Christmas mood, which is like a normal problem for me, but uh, this is not in the script. This is not going to turn into a sermon in a second. This is just an anecdote. I need to say that because sometimes you might expect this is going to turn around and be really clever. It's not clever. I'm just confessing to you as my friends that, um, yeah, normally I have a hard time like getting in the, the Christmas spirit. But this year I've actually done pretty good until, until really today. I'm not sure what entirely that is. Um, but I was saying to Andy before the service started that um, as much as I would like to kind of be in the right headspace and heart space before the service starts, like there's something about the service itself that tends to do some of the work. And so I'm feeling that work happening. I'm excited to, to share. End anecdote. Everything from here on out is so clever. It's so good. <laughs> as, we, as we heard a moment ago, this is the fourth and the final service of Advent, our final service in person, just uh, our own church in all of 2021, which is a crazy thing to think about. It's our last opportunity to worship together before we gather on Christmas Eve with these other churches that we're partnering with to celebrate the arrival of our Savior and the birth of Jesus, who is God with us. And it's also the week of two seemingly disconnected things, right? It's the week of peace on the one hand. And then it's also the week that we heard a moment ago that we light the candle of the angels. Because scripture teaches us we're so overwhelmed and so overjoyed by the nativity that they gathered in the sky and sang praises, presumably at the tops of their lungs. I'm not sure how angel anatomy works, but loudly to the God of the universe for his goodness and his faithfulness to his creation. So it's the loudest and the most overwhelming moment in the whole Christmas story and also the week of peace. So how in the world does that work? How do those things fit together? I think this is the moment in the season, I speak for myself, maybe I speak for you too, when we're most in danger of losing ourselves, of losing the work that Advent is inviting us to do this month. It's the week that we can kind of get carried away by the, the busyness of everything. But for our brief teaching time tonight, I want to be as intentional as I possibly can be about trying to scale back just a little bit. I want us to hold out from celebrating or even talking about the celebration for just another few minutes because I'm convinced that the topic of peace is something that will resonate more fully in us if we do our best to wrap our minds around not just what the word peace means, which as an English teacher, you know I love to talk about what words mean, but beyond that, also what the word teaches, what the word itself teaches. And here's our big idea. Here's our meditation for tonight. If you're going to write a thing down, this is the thing that you would write down. Peace isn't just an end to strife. Peace is a response to striving. Peace isn't just an end to strife. It's a response to striving. We're not here just to celebrate that the hard times are over. Amen, right? If ever there was a season in our lives to be cautious about ever feeling like our troubles are behind us, it's this one. We're here to celebrate, rather, that there is a way in the 
midst of struggle, in the midst of struggle, to kind of still have hope. Celebrate that there is a way in light of Jesus' coming to live through hardships with purpose. We don't just endure anymore. That's the, the thing, right? We're not just people who endure. We're not just people who fight the good fight. We're supposed to be people who are living in a way that gets us closer and closer to what we were designed by God to be. To be people who invite and invoke the kingdom of God and the world around us. Which is to say we're learning. We're supposed to be people who are learning more and more to be people of peace. Each week during Advent, we incorporate several traditional elements of the liturgy into our worship services, which aren't routinely a part of how we, we tend to do things in our services here at Revolution during the rest of the year. And some of these are things that we all participate in, like the responsive prayers that we do in this service and the confession that I led just a few moments ago, and others are things that we listen to or that we read out loud, like the scripture verses during the candle lighting or just a moment ago, the verse that Sarah read in the middle of our worship. And those things are intentional. This week, the verses that we read from Micah and from the Psalms, those verses are meant to kind of set us up for the arrival of Jesus. They're prophetic about him to varying degrees, and they include these promises that Jesus will, in his coming, fulfill. But we chose those verses as well because I think they also speak to how small and how, in some ways, even off-base the ancient expectations for the Messiah really were. In his words of prophecy, Mar Micah writes that Bethlehem will be the Savior's birthplace, and that he's going to be a ruler over Israel. But Micah sees that rule in terms of the reunification of the ancient tribes of the patriarchs, and he imagines the peace the Messiah is going to bring in terms of national security. And he imagines that all of this is going to culminate in a greatness for the nation that will be known throughout the earth. Micah receives God's vision for a Messiah, and then he boxes that vision into the package of a powerful king. In the 84th Psalm, the poet writes of his longing to dwell in the house of the Lord, even to be a servant in that house. And he compares that desire for to the longing that a sparrow must feel for its own nest. But even in that sense of place, that sense of rest with the sparrow in its nest, he still imagines in that space this continual need, not just for sacrifice, but specifically for the sacrifices of sons in the model of Abraham. There's still humiliation in his paradise and labor there as well. He's allowed into the Father's house, but he can't imagine having a share of the inheritance. And then finally, we read verses from the Song of Zechariah, which we had looked at in more, de in more depth a few weeks ago. And the song is composed when Jesus is still dwelling within his mother, Mary. And Zechariah sings, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has raised up a mighty Savior for us, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This baby, this unborn baby, is a warrior, and his target is the Romans, 
He has vengeance on his mind. I think each one of these prophetic voices, these writers of Holy Scripture, they struggle to make sense of what God is revealing to them because they're boxed in by what greatness and what power mean in their context. And then, and then Jesus comes, right? Not as a king, not as a warrior, not even as a priest, but he comes as an infant and then as a teacher and then as a martyr and then finally as this savior beyond their wildest imaginations. Jesus defeats death, not Rome. He unites the world, not just the tribes of Israel. He offers adoption as sons, not just jobs, as servants. What a wonder all of that is. What a wonder. And there are challenges that I think we can take away from this story. We can ask ourselves, of course, where our own sights are set too low. We can look inwards at our own meager acts of resistance to this overwhelming and abundant favor our God has shown us and continues to show us. But I, I got to tell you, I think those are Christmas morning thoughts. I don't think we're quite there yet. Instead, I want us to meditate here for a second about what is at the root of the longing in each of these voices that we read. What is it those voices are hungry for? Whether they anticipate the, the kind of savior that they end up getting or not, what is it that, they, that makes them feel like they need one? My daughter, Cecilia, has fallen in love with puzzles over the last year and a half. This is one of the consequences of COVID in our house. And I'm happy for her because I love puzzles too, and puzzles are cheap, and Kathy Miller has a whole shed full of puzzles, and she'll let you borrow them. So we've saved a lot of money on this particular hobby. But anyways, with all the puzzles in our house, every once in a while, of course, a piece gets lost. And I wonder, I wonder if one way to think about the psalmist and about Micah and about Zechariah is as lost pieces of a puzzle. They know just by looking at themselves that they're meant to be connected to something more. But what is it? How can you even imagine it? What might the big picture be if you're just one little piece? I think each and every one of us senses that the world around us is not quite right. I think we all know that. But what do we think would ever fix it? Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. What would bring us not just to this place of comfort, but to a sense of wholeness, of belonging, of purpose? This is the meaning of peace as the Bible teaches it. Peace is wholeness. Peace is belonging. Peace is purpose. Peace, shalom, is the fullness of creation. It's the harmony of God in us and our lives. When ancient authors looked at themselves, they saw puzzle piece edges, and they longed then for fullness, and they imagined the one who could bring them that fullness in the context of the peace right next to them, in the context of a king 
of a priest, of a warrior. And the point wasn't just victory over their enemies or power or prosperity. The point that I think even they were longing for was for making things whole again. So as we await Christmas Eve, I wonder if we can find the same courage to look at our own edges, to look at our own missing pieces. What is missing from us? And then as we anticipate this anniversary of Christ's birth here in just a few days, I wonder if we can learn from these voices in Scripture how to be open to what our God is planning, to what our God is bringing. Peace isn't going to come about just because all the busyness of the season or the struggling of the season stops. Peace is something that God gives to us as we surrender ourselves and our worries to him. We can lay all the rest down. We can drop our guard. We can admit that our expectations were and always are going to be off the mark for what a Messiah is. We don't have to know how to fix everything. Instead, what we're invited to do here is to trust God to bring wholeness and to bring peace into our lives. That's the thing. We say it each year. It's a cliche, but it's amazing how busy we make a season of waiting, isn't it? These next few days are the worst of all, all the last-minute gift buying, the cramming in, the Christmas activities that we procrastinated on, right? That's our, we have a jar in our house of, like, all the things we're supposed to do, and, like, we take them out at the beginning of the month, like, one thing at a time. We'll make cookies, we'll make little snowflakes and hang them around the house, but then, like, you're just doing it when you feel like it, and now we're to five days out, and we've got, like, 15 slips of paper in this jar, right? Like, these next couple days are going to be, like, Christmas chaos in our house, as we try to catch up. And then not to mention, not just getting the stuff done, but also just looking for that holiday spirit, right, that we're missing, that you want to feel just a little bit of before the season's over. But in the midst of all that busyness, I wonder, I wonder what a good time it is for us to take a deep breath. I know it's a little bit on the nose, but nothing quite says the fullness of life like a deep breath filling your lungs. In fact, I'd say do that. Let's do that. We're a small group. We can do this kind of thing. Let's take a deep breath together. How do I do this? I didn't plan this out. I should count down, I guess. One, two, three. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Hold it. wonder if that is a bit of peace. Not an end to strife, not an end to all the chaos, but an answer to the striving of the season. Because what it reminds us of is that the thing that we are seeking is here for us, right? It's in, here for us in wild abundance if we pause long enough to take it in. The God of the universe is moving. The God of the universe is working. He's patiently and lovingly ushering his whole creation back into his loving intent for it. And there's more good news if you think about it, because on top of everything, it turns out that you are part of that creation. You are a person that he created. And that means that the God you believe is moving out there is moving in here too. 
He's moving within you and like working within you, working on you and being patient with you and ushering you towards wholeness and peace. So don't let the narrowness of your expectations or the frame that our culture is forcing on us close us off from this last crescendo to Christmas. Or if we know we're going to get our expectations wrong, then do our best to stay open, to take those deep breaths, and to be open to what is being revealed, the gift that we are being given. It will be greater than you expect. What's coming is fullness. What's coming is purpose and hope and belonging and love. I know we can hardly wait for it, but we have a few more days. I'll pray for us, and then we'll receive communion this evening. God, thank you. Thank you for being patient with us, even as we are impatient people. God, each year we know that the busyness and, and all of the, the effort and the work and the labor that we, that we put in, not just to this season, but to our whole lives, we know that that isn't going to get the job done. We know that you offer us rest, that you offer us peace, that that's what you want for us. But I speak for myself in saying I can't seem to stop myself from trying to work for it anyway. But God, you're patient with me, you're patient with us, and I thank you for that. I thank you for who you are, for the love that you showed us, the love that you're teaching us how to both feel and to share ourselves with others. God, I just pray that you will keep moving in us, keep working in us, keep teaching us and training us into being the people that you've intended for us to be. May your kingdom come in our lives and our city. We love you, God. Thank you. In your son's name. Thank you.